Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, and I do not believe in this podcast. This is the fourth take, <laughs> which invites you to say, wow, this is the one you're going with? Wow, you sh- maybe you should have done a fifth take. Uncle Joachim, maybe you should have done a fifth take. But that's... I'm not gonna do a fifth take. At least I don't think so right now. Oh God, I don't believe in this, but we just have to go with it. I'm gonna just jump right in. Um, the, here's my entire life. Let me explain my entire life and what the problem is to you. <sighs> On Monday, I was working and Mondays are the last day of my work week. And I am a big thought in my head is that the end of the work week is important because if there's some shit that goes down in the like latter part of the last day of my work week and then I have two days off, then it's over, man. I mean, if someone argues with me, like if I have an argument in the last two hours of my last day, I mean, then my two days off are just me walking around for two days with my lips moving the whole time because I'm having a conversation in my head where I'm like arguing about what I should have said overlaid with what I'm going to say when I pick the argument back up. Which reminds me of, um, I used to go to this one AA meeting in Seattle every Tuesday and there was this one guy who, he was a good guy and he had a really strong program and he did it very well, but he was extremely repetitive, but he, he, he did it good. He did it in a way where you bought, like you were, you were a little bit bored when he was talking, but it was still like, you could tell that he, you could tell that the ego death was successful. You could tell that he truly did not think highly of himself and that he was a truly humble person who truly wanted to help people. But he had like five things he said every single time he talked and he talked basically every single meeting. And one of them was like, he's like, I used to have a six figure, I can't do it. He had like a Boston Irish accent. He's like, I used to have a six figure job. And, and, um, this is like probably in the eighties when six figure job was good. And, and he's like, and I had all these successes, but I was drinking every day. And then I never felt as proud as when I went to the 7 a.m. meeting every day. And they asked me to put the cookies out in the beginning of the meeting. And then my sponsor told me that I put the cookies out good and I put them out straight. And when he complimented how I put the cookies out, that's the proudest I ever felt. Prouder than I ever felt about my six-figure job where I was being a fucking cocksucker just insulting everyone and just hating everyone. But but I was reminded of him because that's one of the things he said about how the proudest he ever felt was the cookies, cookies being straight. But the other thing he said every single time was like how as a drinking person, he was extremely obsessive and he would always like talk shit about people and obsess about people. And then someone looked at him one day and was like, that lady is living in your head and she's not even paying rent. And that fucking, I relate to that so fucking good because that's life, bro. Like if I work five days and then in the last two hours of the last day of that work week, there's an argument. I mean, that person is about to live for free in my head without paying rent for two days until I come back to work so I can have a part two of that argument, you know? But so here's the thing that didn't happen. This Monday was awesome. Everything was awesome. 
everything went completely awesome. So now first I'm going to do a little bit of restaurant talk about like, so what's good? So I'm the only manager on, so I'm responsible for everything. So, so the goals, here are some things related to the goal and how they went well. The whole shift, not a single guest complained about anything. All the food was awesome. All the drink was good. I didn't comp a single thing, which is very, comping is like, you know, you say you don't like it, you send it back, we take it off your check. We just wasted time. We just wasted materials. You know, we don't like comping things. You know, we comp a steak and that's a lot of money that we lose. And the secret is that we'll comp anything if you fucking send it back. Now, the rules kind of are that you can't fucking finish it. Like, if you eat something and finish it and then say, I didn't like it and you don't want to pay for it, man. Then you're going to see some frowny frowny faces. We still might take it off of your check, depending a little bit on what's going on. But... So pretty much every shift, there's some little thing. Hopefully, usually it's small things. Like, we don't like comping mains and stuff, you know? But usually there's a drink that was too weird for someone owner. Something, you know? Actually, as I'm saying this, I kind of remember that there was one comp where, like, this old man didn't like the tepache. But, you know, it's a $5 drink. Those materials don't cost us very much. I think that's it. That might have been a different day, but I think it's that day. Anyway, then there was like this other thing where the um, front desk person had to go home early. So because of a childcare issue, so she went home three hours early. So then I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to check a bunch of people in while I'm serving the restaurant, while I'm the only rest, only manager in the whole building. And then the whole shift on the hotel side, no one asked me for anything. Didn't have to check anyone in. Didn't have to do anything. No problems. And then I'm training a person. So I got this person just chilling next to me as I'm taking orders. And then we're at this table. Oh, God. Get ready for this because this is straight bragging. Okay, just strap in for the old Brag Boy Express, okay? This is my podcast and I'm allowed to do whatever I want here. And now for the next five minutes, this is just going to be straight bragging. But like... I'm at this table and there's this couple and we're talking to them and we're being real nice and they're being real nice and they don't have power. So they want to have a long chilled dinner because when they go home, they just have to sit there in the dark. And we're like, oh, damn, that's terrible. No power in Penn Valley. Someone told me it's because it was a rodeo and too many people went out there for the rodeo and that, that fucking kill the power. But they were like, nah, that wasn't it. But. So we're, they're looking at the menu and they're looking at the bottle list of wine, the long list of all the wines by the bottle that we have. You know, we got like five whites by the glass and five reds by the glass and a rosé and a sparkling by the glass. But then we have a long list of by the bottle, right? So they point on this random ass long list of by the bottle wine and they ask like this one, what is this one like? Now, this is a very difficult question for a server. I don't know. How do I say this? How do I say this? Okay, so they ask, and I'm like, I had this whole thing. I'm like, the wine is named after the winemaker's dog. It's inspired by the dog. It's like this and this and this. And I throw out these random ass words, earthy. It has a little bit of a funk to it. Notes of like earthiness, like almost like mushroom, like umami, like that. It's a red, a little bit of fruit, but really it's like this very interesting, different earthy palette kind of delicious. That's what I say. 
And as I'm saying it, I'm like, I hope this is right. You know? Like, there's like 50 bottles on that menu. It's very hard to remember tasting notes for all of them. And so we do that, and then we, we go back. And then when I serve a bottle of wine, as I'm retrieving the bottle from the back, I Google it. So I Google it, and the person I'm training is right next to me, and she's nice. <laughs> Tiffany, if you're listening to this, you're nice. But so we go back there, and I Google it. And we get to this website, the main website, where they just have tasting notes for all wines. So everyone, it's like a crowdsourced database of knowledge about wine, right? So on this wine, they rank the tasting notes by mentions, and the most mentioned is at the top. And the most mentioned tasting note with 140 mentions is earthy and mushroom. It's earthy and mushroom, bro. It's right there. Second one, 130, 130 mentions is cherry. So <laughs> I don't know how to describe this. Oh, I feel terrible. This is so, this is so stupid. Why am I saying this to you guys? But it, that, that's, ah, I felt good about that. That's what I'm saying. I felt good. I felt like I was on a roll. Everything was going well. Everyone was happy. And it's, it's a sobriety thing, bro. I used to have the, I used to have a famously bad memory. Famously bad. Like you ask Sebastian that I grew up with. Anything in our teenage years, I didn't remember shit. And then we moved to Shanghai and he'd be like, dude, I've told you this seven times. You're not even going to remember it. So I don't know why I'm telling you this again. Famously worst memory ever. And then I got sober. And now it's like there's this incredible clarity in my mind. I can remember anything. And then I sent everyone home. And we ran the whole show, just me and the bartender. And then we have a group of 14 walk in 30 minutes before close. And I'm like, I don't even care. It's fine. I'll stay here late. And then I, I serve these 14 hippies and they're really nice. And then at the end, they're like, can we have separate checks? And they literally wanted like 10 checks. So 10 people that have arrived like trickling in and they've moved around mingling in this big room. And they've all just asked me for items one by one to the point where the kitchen is like, hey, shouldn't you be ringing all their shit in on one ticket? Why is there nine tickets here for one table? And I'm like, bro, they're showing up one by one asking me for things. I can't not order it for them. It's how they're doing it. Like I have no power over this. So we end up doing like 20 tickets for this table because these people are just trickling in, ordering one item at a time. And then at the very end, when there's about, you know, 70 items on this, 70 food and beverage items on this check, they're like, hey, can we have 10 different checks? And here's the thing, Johnny Sobermind over here, I just, I did it. I did it. And, and it, it's like, there was a couple of... I, and I walk in there and I'm j I just tell people like, hey, there's a five things on this over here that's like, these items were less memorable, okay? Who the fuck ordered this, you know? Like, this is just some asparagus spears on the side. Like, I don't remember that. That wasn't memorable. And then they, they found it funny that I called it, called it less memorable. And then, and then we figured it out and I got them 10 checks and I could remember everything perfectly and it was fine. And there are so many, I'm just going to keep going with the restaurant talk here because, so here's the thing. Servers hate to split checks like that because it's so hard to remember, but there are many, many reasons why you need to. First of all, 
if you drop the long check, a $700, like it says $700 at the bottom and all the things are listed and each item has the price next to it. If you drop that check and people look at it and, and see, okay, I had the Brussels sprouts and this beer and they look at the price next to it and then they put down the cash for those things and then they add a little bit for a tip, you're getting screwed because what no one realizes that does that, what the guest does not realize while adding up items, thinking about what they had, is that at the bottom, there's like $100 of tax included. And the tax is not included in the number next to the item. So if you just um, see that your beer was $6, and then you're like, okay, fine, I'll put down 7 then look, your beer was fucking six eighty nine, bro. You're tipping me 11 cents. So when you actually get people a proper check where it's like their four items are on the check and it's tallied up and it's the tax is added and there's a subtotal and a total at the very bottom, then you end up, you start out with a much bigger number that they start out with that they didn't add tip to. That's the one. And then the other one is like, people just get so much more generous feeling like, because the, the, the unclarity of exactly how much their stuff is makes them a little bit like defensive and makes them go smaller. So you get like, I swear to God, you make an extra 50 bucks every time. If you just, if you have perfect memory, perfect recall, perfect, perfect restaurant recall. If you got that perfect recall and you get them the perfect check, they tip way better. Okay. So that's what happened. Okay. I remember perfectly about the wine. It's a big body, delicious, earthy wine, mushrooms. Mushrooms is a weird tasting note that's a very rarely occurring tasting note that you can't. Like most wine knowledge is bullshit, right? People just bullshit it and just say the same shit like it's nice. But dude, you can't be throwing around words like mushroom, you know, unless you know what you're doing. Fucking porcinis. Oh my God. So that happened, right? And it's the end of the shift and everything is good. It's the end of my week and everything is good. And then I come home and here's the problem in life. Here's, here's my problem. This is the rise and the fall. When you're at work, I, when I'm at work, I'm expecting to, it's, at, it's work, you know? Like it's not supposed to be fun. So if I can make it a little bit fun and enjoy it a little bit and feel like it's pretty all right, then that seems like a huge success. Because expectations are already managed. No one is expecting to be just deliriously happy at work. But you know when people expect to be deliriously happy? When you're off work. So then I come home off work and I'm like, I have no structure. And I have no one telling me what to do. And, and I immediately feel horrible. That's the story. That's what I'm saying here. I immediately, I have no structure. I go home. I play a little bit of video games. I feel guilty the whole time. I feel stressed out the whole time. And then at 2 a.m., at like 1.50 a.m., I'm like, I should probably go to bed soon. But I'm like trying to watch a little bit of Netflix. I'm trying to watch Stranger Things, but it's boring. And then I'm like, I watch, I put on Ricky Gervais's, I almost said Louis C.K., but no, Ricky Gervais, a slightly less canceled, but still like not a good guy. But um, Ricky Gervais's new comedy special. And I'm watching this comedy special and I'm like, I'll watch 20 minutes of this. I don't even enjoy it. It's like at 1.50, I was like, I should, I should be going to bed, you know? 
You know, when I fell asleep, I fell asleep at 7 a.m. And not because of insomnia, but because I didn't try. I didn't try to go to bed. I just didn't. Because no one's telling me what to do. And that's the, you know, there are many, many labels you could put on this problem. You know, it's the, it's the strange thing about freedom. Like we have this idea that freedom is the most, is super desirable. And we can conceptualize freedom as something pleasant. Like there's a thing in meditation practice that sometimes the meditation teacher will talk about, which is like, imagine that you're like on vacation in a new city and you step out of your hotel and you just have the whole afternoon to yourself and you're in like a new place imagine you're in like portugal and you've never been in portugal and you step out of your hotel and you have six hours and you can just walk around for six hours imagine that interesting feeling of of curiosity and freedom that you would have in that moment and Realize that all of life can be like that and that that feeling is actually accessible at any point. That's like the meditation teacher prompt or exercise in that situation, right? Like that feeling of just stepping out on the sidewalk and the sidewalk is even a weird shape that you don't even, that you're not even used to. And it's like a fucking cobblestone street and you're like weirded out by everything and you just want to know what's around the corner. All of life can be like that feeling. And that is, you could use the word freedom for that. And freedom can be good. But then there's this other thing where it's like, it's fucking 2.30 a.m. And you're watching a comedy special that you don't even like. And then after I finish, like I was going to watch 20 minutes of this comedy special. And I watched the entire hour and a half. And I don't even enjoy it. And the whole thing is just like him just trying to be rude. Trying to, trying to say trying to explore what he shouldn't say. And it's like, I don't know. It just feels like a boring exercise at this point. There's like 30 minutes about how women aren't funny. And he's like, yeah, no, some women are funny. He's like, I'm just trying to be rude. You know, women are funny. And it's like, like, uh, and then he's like jokingly not being able to, jokingly failing to think of a funny woman. And then he's like, oh yeah, no, funny women like, uh, like Dame Edna. You know, the joke being that that's a fucking man, bro. Then he's like, oh, God. Anyway, such a boring, such a hack take. Interesting conversation, boring answer. I think my take is that um, being funny is a skill and as a society, especially like especially when we're young especially like in grade school there's just it's very gendered and we and boys are conditioned to practice the skill of being funny and women are less are not funneled into that role as much so they practice it less so maybe there is a thing where women have practiced being funny a little bit less but I know lots of exceptions. There's lot, There are lots of women in my life that are funny. I think looking for a partner, it's maybe like number one. It's like really high up there. Like you're going to spend time with someone for the rest of your life? They better make you laugh. They better be fucking funny. But then there's this other thing, other label that you could put on this problem of I'm happy at work and I'm miserable off work. And I think it's something about flow states. 
flow states and self-awareness, how like self being in that state of being self-aware can be so uncomfortable. Whereas when you enter a flow state, you're kind of not aware of yourself. You're just doing a thing. And it's like, bro, when you ask me about a wine and I can recall perfectly in this enormous by the bottle list, tasting notes for every single wine, you, you, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'm in a flow state, bro. Of course, that's a flow state. That's perfect. It was so nice that Tiffany was there to to hear me <laughs> perfectly recall those. Oh, God. This is just bragging. Yeah. Ricky Gervais wasn't even funny. Kind of cringe. Finish it at like 3.30 a.m. And then here's the thing. What do I do after that? When I already like... Just self-loathing is just coming over me, and I just feel this, the negotiation, it's very sobriety-related, because it's like there's this self-negotiation thing where there are ideas in my head about what I should do, and then we can negotiate about those things. You know, for years, it was, the thing was, I should not succumb to drugs and alcohol but then I negotiate with myself and here here it's like excuse me I know that I need to sleep I know that lack of sleep makes me lack of sleep makes me feel like there's not just something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the entire world. You know? And I have never, however much I, however much meditation there is, I have never been able to untangle those things. Of like, when I, I'd do lots of ecstasy, and then the next day I would have literally no serotonin in my brain, and there would just be this dark cloud over society and I could not separate those things. And I could not separate. I, I, I would sit there and rationally know that I feel extra terrible today. And I shouldn't attach a lot of value to my own interpretation of what the world is like. But I'd sit there the day after ecstasy and be like, the world, the universe, and earth, and how things are going for humanity on earth is like going very, very poorly. Things are not going well. And I would like profoundly believe that. And I would profoundly feel like my life was not going well and that the world is not going well. And then on fucking Monday, I stay up till 7 a.m. after work. And here's what I do after Ricky Gervais. This is how I spend the next four hours after I finish the Ricky Gervais special. I spend it on YouTube just watching the next YouTube video that's coming up. Now I have a, I know I'm 35 years old and I'm trying not to like completely destroy myself. So I have certain things that I think I have figured out. Like I have a, a browser plugin that makes it so that the, I'm watching something on YouTube on my computer and to the right of the video, there is no up next. Like I have a browser up pl a plugin that just deletes that. So to the right of the video I'm watching, it's just white space because I know that the algorithm is smarter than, or like the algorithm is more powerful than my willpower. I know that. So I have a browser plugin installed that just makes that white space because I don't need like 
to be, you know, a drug addict that hired someone that hired a drug dealer to just follow him around and offer him drugs all day. Like I'm smarter than allowing a drug dealer to just walk around and offer me drugs all day, you know? But that doesn't matter because if I'm really looking for some drugs, I'll just go to the YouTube fucking home, the front page and just click the next video. And here's what I end up watching. I watched videos of people playing video games for four hours. That's what I watched for four hours. Just videos of people I've never met in real life playing Elden Ring or playing video games I've never even played. And I mean, look, some people have a some young people especially have found a balance in their life they're enjoying their lives and it's part of their life to watch videos like that those videos of people watch of those videos of people playing video games screen captures of people on twitch and everything those videos get mil they get millions of views some people watch those videos and it's great and everything and it's part of their life and it's part of a nutritional fucking media diet for them but for me it's not okay for me, me at between 3 a.m. And, and 7 a.m. watching videos of other, like not even, if it was only, if it was at least me playing a video game, which is already something that maybe I shouldn't be doing, especially not at that hour, but not even playing a video game, just watching someone play the video game and saying like nothing about it. Watching video game donkey play video games. Uh, it's not good for me. And so then complete self-loathing at 6 a.m., do another hour, 7 a.m., finally go to bed, not even tired, turn everything off. At least I have blackout curtains. Lay there at 7 a.m. The sun is completely up. I lay in the darkness of my bedroom, actually surprised at how dark the how dark it gets. It got really fucking dark behind those blackout curtains. That's a good thing, at least. I lay there in the dark at 7 a.m. I set an alarm for 12.30 p.m. because it's like, I don't know, I can't fucking fuck a whole week up here. And then I wake up five minutes before the alarm because my I always wake up at noon. And here's the thing. The problem wasn't Monday and staying up until 7 a.m. The problem was Tuesday. Because all day Tuesday, because I'd only had four and change, four hours and change hours of sleep, the whole day Tuesday, I felt like it wasn't just that I felt physically and mentally bad. That was projected onto the entire world, and I could not not feel that. I could not get myself to not believe it to be true. I felt all day Tuesday, I felt like... The world is not a good place. Now, it doesn't help that on that day, there's a fucking school shooting where they kill 19 kids. And these kids are all like... Kids with like eyeballs that you can look into and stuff. You know? So I'm in this state of like wanting to tell myself that, hey, you might feel terrible right now and you might, your mind wants to come up with these like terrible interpretations of the, what the world is. And maybe you shouldn't attach a lot of value to your own interpretations until tomorrow when you've had a proper night's sleep. But I don't know how to not attach value to it. 
and that's it. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, let's not look at these school shooting victims in the eyes, you know? And then instead, maybe we'll listen to a fucking podcast and go to the gym. Don't go to the gym. Listen to the podcast instead. Every podcast is about how there's a war. And it's like, and then you try to get to these like really good podcasts where they're like not being sensationalist and crazy about everything. And they actually like talk about how, well, from a Russian perspective, we're really, we're really not giving them any outs here. And we really are just doing propaganda. And maybe, maybe Putin is really just trying to like fucking do what's best for Russia. And maybe if we sat down with him, we could come up with something where fewer people have to die and we're failing that too. And it's like, I'm just sitting there like, everything is going bad, you know? And then I go on 4chan. Oh my God. So good. What's better than being really depressed and going on 4chan? Um, so I go on 4chan because there was a school shooting. Um, I do feel like 4chan, it can be meaningful to go to, go to 4chan when there has been a school shooting because they are kind of the experts, the resident correspondent when it comes to school shootings. So you go on there and you're like, yeah, the school shooter was a trans woman. And then, you know, this was yesterday. Today I read an article in the New York Times debunking that, but yesterday I believed it. And here's the thing, bro. Even if that's true, really, the takeaway is just, there's no like, oh, trans people are bad. The takeaway is just, things aren't going very well. You know? Things aren't going very well. You watch this Ricky Gervais thing, and he's like making fun of trans people the whole time, and and it just seems like... Not that funny and kind of rude. And, um, yeah, and it just brings me back to that. I've talked about it twice on the podcast. I think how the latest Dave Chappelle special is like so fucking funny, but also so bad and evil because it's really him talking about making fun of trans people and talking about how he does have a trans friend. And then, the whole special, he's just making fun of trans people and making the world a worse place for his trans friend. And then at the end of the story, he explains how his trans friend did commit suicide, but he never connects the dots on how, well, maybe as much as your trans friend says that it's okay that you do trans jokes, maybe you could also acknowledge that making fun of trans people in every special is making the world harder for trans people so maybe part of why your friend committed suicide is your like the world you're creating here and maybe the takeaway from all of that is that things aren't going very well anyway i don't know I work and when I'm at work, I just know what I'm supposed to be doing and, and I just feel like whatever, it doesn't matter what I, f like, it's just, I think I always feel like shit, but, but at least at work, it's easier to buy into the thing that, oh, maybe we shouldn't attach too much value to how we feel because at least we're here, we're on the clock, we're making money, so that, at least that's good. At least there's that. 
But then I'm off work, man. And I'm like, everything comes crashing down because I don't have that. And also I have this expectation of like, I should feel so good. I don't know. I mean, the, t- the, the, the lesson is like super easy stuff. Like I have to install a little bit of structure and go to bed. I have to be a parent. I have to, I have to take, I have to be a boss of myself and I have to go to bed. Yeah. And then yesterday I just felt so bad all day. And then I get this email that this one guy at work has been promoted and now we're on, him and me are on the same level. And because I feel so bad about everything and how the world is going and school shootings and abortion rights, I'm like, fuck. I feel like threatened and jealous when he gets a promotion. It's like, bro, there's literally nothing. He's a great guy. I like him. There's nothing bad about him getting a promotion. There's too much work and I don't want to do all the work. And if he gets a promotion, we can share it. And and it's like, there's nothing bad about him getting a promotion. But when I feel bad about everything, I approach every problem and every question with fear and self-loathing and small-mindedness, small-heartedness. That's the thing, man. Having a small heart, approaching the world with a small heart, with like a, a negative sum approach where you're like, there isn't enough for everyone. Not even a zero sum, just like there isn't enough and I have to get more and no one else should get anything. And that's how I feel. And I was talking to Javi and, and, and I was talking to Javi, not even focusing on what Javi was saying. And then at the same time as Javi is talking, I'm like checking my phone and I check my email and I get this email where it's announced that my coworker has been promoted and I don't even tell Javi, but my heart just drops. My heart just fucking drops and I just feel worse. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. And I'm talking to Javi. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I can't even hear what he's saying. And I'm just like, uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just like uh-hawing along, feeling horrible, feeling small hearted feeling spiteful. Ugh, so bullshit. I got nothing figured out, man. Ugh. I got nothing, dude. It's 31 degrees outside, and it's... I cooled the house down, but then I turned the AC off to record this, and it's getting hotter in here now. Ah, it's not true. I'm fine. I went to bed early yesterday, a.k.a. 2 a.m., fell asleep, slept 10 hours, woke up rested, had a bunch of caffeine, feeling good, feeling better, went to the gym, didn't take a shower. This is what my voice sounds like when I'm unshowered. So hot outside. Alexa, what's 31 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? 3,031 degrees Celsius is 5,487.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, there you have it. It's about 5,000 degrees. It's about, it's over 9,000. It's over 9,000, my dude. (laughs) God. I don't know. There's also this other thing that's super hacky to talk about, but I'm in a state right now where it feels like time is moving very, very quickly. 
but it's okay because I'm actually, I do actually ultimately really enjoy my job. And most days I work, you know? I was talking to my sponsor today and he was like, look, if you can find a job that you enjoy, then that's one of the big battles in life that you've won because, I mean, the war is lost, but the battle is won because I do really enjoy it. My coworkers say hilarious stuff, and I'm laughing in there, dude. I'm laughing. I mean, they're laughing, bro. And I say hilarious things, and I laugh at my own jokes, and I'm allowed to. Who's going to stop me, you know? And I love some of those people in there. I love them. Oh, God. Time is moving so quickly. I think part of it is that I sleep like nine, ten hours a night. So I wake up at noon every day. I have a couple of hours to do stuff before I go to work at 4 or 5 p.m. And then I work like seven, eight hours. And I get off after midnight and, and I unwind for an hour or two. And then I sleep another ten hours. And it's just like... it's It's such a... A boring thing to say, but it's like, I my work week starts, and then I blink, and then it's like, oh shit, that was just three days of work that just zipped by. And I think it's related to the flow state thing, because perception of time when you're in a flow state. But it's okay. It's okay. If I could spend the rest of my life in a flow state, I guess I would. But that also sounds scary because then I'd never notice and I'd never get into a re reflective self, just self-aware state of actually being. I don't know. Flow states are interesting because they're both our least enlightened and our most enlightened. I don't know. The most romantic setup sounds it seems to be that you you're in a flow state and then when you're out of the flow state you sit back and you just look at it all and you 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 have a sense of peace and you trust that you will want more in the future be enter that you will have the ability to in the future enter the flow state once more but it's just that I never trust that like I sit here and dude my heart has dropped like, at some point on Monday between 3 a.m. and 7 a.m., when I was watching those YouTube videos, dude, my heart dropped. And I, I haven't been able to pick it back up. I feel fucking terrible. I feel better than yesterday, but I feel terrible. And I do not believe that I will ever feel good again. That's the thing, man. It's like all those Phoebe Bridgers and Billie Eilish songs about like, I'm just scared that I'll, all, I'll, I'll never feel better. I just feel bad right now and I'm scared that I'll never feel any other way. That's the whole feeling, isn't it? <laughs> oh God. I feel there's so much embarrassing music that I listen to and I feel uh, afraid of people finding out. So I think I'm going to announce a couple of really embarrassing songs that I like and then I will enjoy a freedom afterwards because then I will 
I need to just do it. I need to just say it out loud and then I'm free. So, um, last week I talked about how I listened to Helvet, which is three Swedish scrawny white boys who enjoy a lot of privilege and, and have no street cred and, and rap about some really embarrassing things trying to be overly poetic and talking about girls and being gangsta. And then there's this song, it's called Is There Something in the Movies by Samia. Now this is a really embarrassing song where for the second half of the song she screams in an emotional histrionic way that really clicks in with my histrionic personality disorder that's way too dramatic and it's very it's a very embarrassing song to say that you like. And here's the crazy part. Yesterday, Swedish rap group Helvet released a song called Alla Minen. God, I hate that I just said that out loud. All of our memories is what that means if you directly translate it. And it's a song where they're rapping over the Samia song. So it's like they are admitting that they are into this very embarrassing American song. That's what they're admitting. I mean, they're not really admitting it because they don't give the song credit. But you can hear the song just playing and they're just rapping over it. And they just modulated her voice down a little bit. But you can hear her mumbling in the background. And over it, he's just like saying all these emotional things about women and how maybe he should have tried harder. and We never tried the relationship. We never really tried, baby. Babe, we never really gave it a shot. What if it would have worked out? And then he says these things that I shouldn't think they're poetic, but I do. And he's like, I was spinning around and walking on your street and walked by your building. And and he goes, I, I walked by your building and downstairs from your apartment, I got Wi-Fi and it hit me right in the heart. It hit me right in the heart. He got Wi-Fi because he was walking by her building and he got Wi-Fi downstairs from her apartment because they used to be together and they're not together anymore. And it sounds like I'm making fun of it, but it hit me right in the heart. Oh, stupid helvet. How much do I hate that guy? Newell. It's the name of one of those guys. Don't even know what the other guys are called. Uh, let's just drink a water. So... LaCroix released a cherry flavored sparkling water. So so we're doing a cherry episode. And because there's a lot of shit going on this week, I actually have four waters. I'm really hoping that I can um, review all of them. So this one's called Cherry Blossom. I don't know. Maybe it's cherry and blossom because there's actually a flower in between the word cherry and blossom that my brain is sort of interpreting as an ampersand, but... Ooh, that's an incredibly floral and off-putting smell. Oh my god. Oh my god, that tastes nothing like actual cherries. It's so floral. It tastes like a essential oil. Oh, it's super vanilla-y. There's a ton of vanilla in here. ton of vanilla and... it Oh. And almost chocolate. There's vanilla and chocolate. And very little cherry, but what there is in terms of cherry, it's floral. 
It tastes like I read on the internet once that essential oils are poisonous to dogs. So you have to be careful if you like drip essential oils into a diffuser or something. You have to be careful to not let your dog over there and lick it up because they might die. It tastes like what an essential oil would taste like to a dog that would kill it. That's what it tastes like. That's like a 1 out of 10. Um, what else happened this week? I mean, I have to talk about this. Yeah, okay, so I have to mention another one. It's actually um, another super embarrassing song that I like is uh, the song Apple by Julia Michaels. Jesus, that's an embarrassing song. But when she sings um, something about, like, lift up my dress and, and look at where you've been, which is, like, so sexual and weird, that hits me right in the heart. She sings it so, like, minimalist and and simple on a ukulele or something, just her voice and a ukulele, and then there's a drop and it goes super maximalist, and she's screaming and there's a big beat. Oh, my God. Love that song. And then, but there's also this fun concept where these shitty Swedish rappers, people that I have very, it's very hard for me to gauge if they're famous or not, but there's a guy named Antoine. Uh, I imagine he is of Middle Eastern descent, so he has maybe a little bit more street cred because he's not super white. But he made a song called 5AM where he really just raps over Billie Eilish's song Lost Cause. It's very interesting to me that these Swedish rappers think that it works to just... Because it, because it does. It doesn't work for an American rapper to work. It works because of the, because you're importing it from one country, culture, place to another place. That's what makes it work. That's what makes it work. I have a cherry blossom LaCroix burp coming up and I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, that was awful. One out of ten. Um, I got pulled over this week. I got pulled. I got pulled over. I think it was like um, Friday. I got off work on Friday. It was like eleven p.m. Maybe. I left work. I was feeling kind of hyper. I was listening to the new Kendrick Lamar. I was listening to the song "Mother I Sober," ironically, and I was really vibing out. I do think that Kendrick Lamar is the Tupac of this era, and I do think he is incredibly talented and better than everyone else at the thing, and I do think that he is the tastemaker. I don't necessarily know that I'm going to listen to the album a whole lot. It's a little bit more like one of those things, it's almost like runway fashion, where it's not like I'm here to fucking put on runway fashion, but runway fashion like is put out there and then all the people that make clothes that we actually wear are influenced by runway fashion. So in a way it like trickles down to us. And that's how, sort of how I feel about it. Like Kendrick Lamar makes a song on this fucking album about how trans people are okay. And then that will be this just tectonic shift in the culture where Every other rapper will become more enlightened and progressive because of it. And the entire culture will improve because that song is a fucking banger. Like that song is a fucking, it's got this almost, um, okay. 
we're not reviewing music right now. We're talking about how I got pulled over. But it's got this almost, what's that guy's name? Elliot Smith. I read this one time that Elliot Smith, he his style is described on Wikipedia as like, it's got this spider web thin whispery quality to it. And that really speaks to me. He, I think he a little bit invented that. I think Elliot Smith, same thing actually, where I have a million times I've tried to get into Elliot Smith because everyone I like say that Elliot Smith is their main inspiration, but I never get into Elliot Smith, but I still respect him as a person at the top of the mountain because how his style trickles down through other people into me is my whole thing. Like I fucking love Elliot Smith without, I probably listened less than 60 minutes total total running time of listening to Elliot Smith is probably less than 60 minutes but but so anyway that whisper that spider web thin whispering is almost present in the song Mother I Sober or no 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 in the auntie whatever can't remember what the song is called the one about transgender people it's called it's on Kendrick Lamar's new album it's called Auntie Something and he's whispering the whole time or in the beginning, and it has a build. It goes from whispering to something bigger, and it's got an incredible build. It's like a long song. It's very conceptual. It's awesome. And then Mother I Sober is something about sobriety. And so I was listening to the song Mother I Sober, which is one of the four songs that are true Badankadang on there. And so I'm listening to this, and and I see these flashing lights. Um, I'm on Highway 20. I see these flashing lights. And when you see flashing lights, I've always wondered, like, if I'm getting pulled over, I've never gotten pulled over. If I'm getting pulled over, how do I know that I'm getting pulled over? But what I realized in the moment is that when you are when you see flashing lights behind you, you should always pull over. And then hopefully it's just a fire truck or an ambulance or something, and they are just going to go around you and go past you. But this time, there are these very clear lights that were a thousand times more clear in every mirror and in my face, a thousand times more clear than any ambulance flashing light that I've ever seen behind me. So immediate panic, immediate panic. But I was lucky that it happened at a spot where there's an extremely wide shoulder. Now, maybe he did that on purpose. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing that he might have been following me for a while and... He waited to wave me down until we got to this, because there's this snaky part where there's a lot of turns and it goes under a, under the overpass and it's like just, it snakes down to the right and then up to the left and then back around right. And he waited until we got out of that and it was was wider. And then there are these lights, it's red and it's white and it's blue. And it's a wide, wide shoulder and I pull over and I pull to a stop and I don't turn the engine off, which I've later Googled and that's apparently what I should have done. And I just put it in park, uh, you know, parking brake engaged, hands on the steering wheel, no sudden movement, rolled my window down. I mean, look, panic is not even the right word. You know, whatever is worse than panic is what I, the state that I was in yeah and then he um he's approaching my car and he turned this like uh floodlight on 
so I couldn't see shit. <clears throat> Which is, uh, makes sense, you know? Hey, hey. As it's happening, I'm like, yep, makes sense. You know? Sometimes people get shot, you know? Sometimes police officers get shot, and, and I understand that, and I understand that I'm scared and he's scared, you know? I mean, he might not be scared, but he's careful. So there's a floodlight, and I can't see anything. I'm so blinded, but I can hear him approaching the car, and I go, you know, how you doing, officer? You know, And he asks me how I'm doing. And he goes, I pulled you over today because you're... um You seem to be struggling to stay in your lane. You seem to be swerving a bit. That's He said something like that. For this whole description of this story, I'm going to be struggling to remember the exact words he used, but I'll tell you how I felt about it. He told me I was swerving, and he's like, why is that? And I just told him that I was listening to music and I probably wasn't very focused, which is sort of my final answer. It's the first thing I said, but it's also the last thing I said, and it's like, it's the truth. I wasn't very focused. I was listening to that Kendrick Lamar album, and I didn't say that I was listening to rap music, you know, <clears throat> but I was. And uh, my mouth was so dry, and I was so anxious. And then he asks me, why wasn't I focused? And now that's a very philosophical question, you know? But you don't want to get too philosophical with the police officer, because then you sound wasted. So I said I didn't know why I wasn't focused. I said I didn't know. It's interesting. I've struggled to remember. That whole thing probably lasted three minutes. And it was a very small deal. And he was very nice to me. And still, though, even though it was so short, I, I entered a state of profound panic. And because of it, I'm having a really hard time remembering the sequence. But at some point, he asked me, he asked me for my license and my insurance and my registration. And so I reach in my back pocket, I take my wallet out, I take my license out and give it to him. I open my glove compartment and about 50 straws fall out because your boy likes to go to Starbucks. Your boy, your boy gets a, Gets a Big Mac and an iced coffee from from Mac, Mackers, from the place that the Australians call Mackers, from Duncan, like we say in Sweden. I get a lot of straws. I never used the straw for that fucking iced coffee, I guess. I don't know why I have so many straws in my glove compartment, but I do. And they all fall out, and it's a mess. And it's like my car is a little bit of a mess. There's a plate in the sitting shotgun, there's a fucking plate with crumbs on it. Because one of these days, I think it was not that day, it was the day before, I pulled the loaf of bread out of the oven, like um, five minutes before I had to be at work. So I pull the bread out of the oven, I slice two slices real thin, I, real fast, I, I butter them up, I, I slap some cheese on there, I put them on a plate and I go in my car and I'm literally driving to work, uh, munching down hot, hot bread. And then I just left the plate there. So my car looked looked like a mess. What I've read afterwards about this situation that I regret not doing is I should have turned the lights on in the, like the interior lights in the car on because it just, it's just a nice friendly thing that may, will make him feel more safe because then he can see my, my hands and stuff. Now he's fucking floodlighting my car 
And he, I think he had a flashlight in my face too. I never saw this man's face, you know, for the life of me. <clears throat> and I'm nervous as all get out. But somehow when I opened this glove box and a million pieces of paper are in there and 50 straws could fall out, I just reach into the fucking pile and I get all these papers in my hand and I give him two pieces of paper and I say that should be everything. And I have given him two pieces of insurance. I've given him the insurance twice and I've not given him my registration. But somehow, magically, my registration is right there still in my hand. And he sees it and he's like, that's the one. And so magically, I had these three pieces of documents. Like it's pure magic that I accidentally, like out of, like how my life is a complete dumpster fire, bro. But somehow... I paid this like arbitrary, in America they have this car registration thing where it's the most arbitrary $500 to some really high amount like that that you have to pay. And if you don't pay this arbitrary amount, you're technically illegal. So that's where I'm at. But I paid it. And they sent me a piece of paper. And the piece of paper has a tag, and I put the tag on. I, I, I procrastinated for months after getting it in the mail, but I put that tag on my license plate like I should. And I had everything, and I showed it to him, and he was like, it's good. And then he took it, and he was like, you got it? And then he walked back to his car to check it, and then he came back. And in that moment, I actually felt less panicked or something. I felt like that was the big scary thing, sort of. Finding, having, finding, having the wherewithal in that moment to find those three pieces of paper was the thing, the, the difficult, scary thing, but I did it. This story is so boring, but you have to understand that this is the most stressful thing that's ever happened to me because American police officers are famous. They're famous, dude. There's a metaphor. You know, this one time I read a Susan Sontag book called The Metaphor of Cancer just about like the metaphor of cancer. And by golly, if Susan Sontag was fucking rip-roaring around out there still, she'd be she'd be out there writing a, meta- a book called The Metaphor of the American Police because it's the same thing. It's like there's just so much metaphor around it. Like who knows what cancer does to your body? We probably got it under control, but man, the metaphor is alive and kicking. Uh, somehow... Through magic, I had the pieces of paper. But then here's the thing. At some point, he asked me, and this is very interesting. He asked me, how much alcohol today? Or how many drinks today? I don't even remember which wording. But he asked it real quick like that. And it's very interesting because I he asked it in a way that was very sort of rehearsed and very sort of deliberate, I think, where he could have been meandering about it because everything else he was meandering about. He was like, so why aren't you focused? You know, like, why were you swerving and stuff? And he's like trying to find the words and figuring it out. But with the alcohol, he said it quickly. And I believe, my interpretation of that, is that he, I believe that he asked it quickly because humans match, we match each other's energy and we match each other's tempo. And if he asks it quickly, then I will probably, he increases the probability of me answering quickly. And if I answer quickly, I will maybe, I will, it's probable that I will accidentally tell him something that's very true and accidentally truer than I meant. 
Then, and, and if he asks me slowly about how many drinks I've had, maybe I will have time to think about it. And I will slowly meander myself through a sentence and answer that where I'm lying. But that didn't happen. What happened is that he asked quickly and then I actually answered slowly. And I answered, um, I actually haven't had alcohol for three years. I said something like that. He asked quickly something like, how many drinks today? And then I slowly say something like, I actually haven't had alcohol for three years. And then here's the thing. That's not a one-one answer. That's not an answer that there's an asymmetry. He, that's not exactly what he asked me. You know what I'm saying? I'm giving him more information than he asked for. And it's interesting. I was talking to my friend Sam about this, and 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 she was saying how her Chinese husband, Ray, both are characters in my novel. <laughs> <laughs> that got to keep their original names. Uh, yeah. Ray, a.k.a. Yeah, anyway. Ray and Samantha are both in the novel. And so Samantha and her husband, they live in... in they were not the fictional characters in my novel, but the real, the real people, they live in L.A. And, and one thing that Ray finds annoying is how Americans do that, where they answer in a way that's not a one... They answer... They just give more information. It's like, just shut the fuck up and answer the question, is how he feels about it. And then she's telling me that maybe Americans don't mind, and maybe it's okay. And I was thinking about it, and it's like, I associate it with being a politician. With how... If you ever watch... Like, when you watch the debates... When you watch the national level debates for the presidential election in America, there's a thing where nine out of 10 questions get an answer that is only loosely related to the question. Because at some point decades ago, it was discovered that if you say it with a voice as if you are answering the question, the human brain sort of just believes that it is an answer to the question. And if you just, if you bring acting, if you get acting in your corner, and politicians have acting in their corner, if you have acting in your corner and you just say it as if that was an answer to the question, then it doesn't matter that the moderator who asked the question after you finished, that moderator goes, well, you didn't answer my question. It doesn't matter. Because the human brain on an animal level was like, oh, that was a good answer. You know? Someone asks Romney why he mit, why he mit mopped. <laughs> I was going to say, someone asks Mitt Romney why he flip flopped, but he mit mopped. Someone asks Romney why he mit mopped on something, and, and then he's like, just talking about how fucking trickle down economics is the thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, good answer, bro. Nail, when, when you hear the question, you're like, ooh, he just got skewered in that question. And then you hear his answer, and the answer has nothing to do with the question. And you're like, wow, what a recovery. But really, he just fucking talked about something else. Only loosely related, where he just threw in the word from the question here and there, sprinkled in a couple of words from the question, repeating them back as if that makes it an answer, but it's not an answer. But so here's the thing. The cop asked me how many, how many, how many, how many drinks today? And I go, I haven't actually had alcohol for three years. And here's the thing. He didn't, I can't remember the words he used, but he made me feel like, that's cool. That's cool. That's good, actually. All right. I like that. I like that. I like that you haven't had alcohol. He, he could tell from the way I said it that it's probably a good idea that I haven't had alcohol for three years. I mean, it doesn't, I don't, 
tell it to his face that I had a huge problem with it, but... But it's in there, maybe, in the background. And he, almost in the background, took on a big brotherly air of not shitting on me for not answering his question in a one-one way, of just talking, of keeping my answer um, limited to the question, the question pertaining to today. How many drinks today? Stay on topic. How many drinks today? I don't stay on today. I start talking about the last three years. He doesn't shit on me for 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 uh, expanding on it. Oh man, I just pulled a nose hair. Um, because we're honest on this podcast, you know. If I'm out here and I haven't showered, I'll tell you. And if I pull a nose hair in the middle of a sentence, I'll tell you. Because we're brothers. If you listen to this podcast, you're. You're my brother. So uh, he said something nice about it. I can't remember the words, but he was like something like, oh, that's good. That's nice. Oh, that's good. And I remember he said it twice. He was like, that's good. That's good. And I, I felt sensitive about it because I felt like when I answer like that, I open myself up to being attacked. But here's the weird fucking thing. For some reason, look, I've never, I never drove a car until I was 35. Actually, yesterday, randomly, a friend of mine, Keiki Lani, I saw a video on Instagram that she was in Tahoe, so I sent her a message, and I'm like, what you doing in Tahoe? If you pass by Grass Valley an hour west, you should you should come say hi, and we got to talking a little bit. And uh, Keiki Lani is someone that has a weird place in my mind. It was one of those micro romances where it wasn't given enough time to go bad, you know? So you only got one shard of the whole painting, you know? And because it never was allowed to go bad and the initial thing was so free and strange and, you know, that feeling of when you're in a, in Portugal and you step out of your hotel and you're on your, you're on the sidewalk and even the shape of the sidewalk is like something you've never seen. And you just want to know what's around the corner and you got six hours to just walk around and that strange feeling of complete freedom and whatever, that's what it was like to be with Kekilani. And then she was gone and, 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 and she has that in her mind. And then yesterday she sent me all these nice messages as a respond to my question. And she'd said all these nice things and And I realized that I'm probably a little bit like that in her mind, too. Where it was just like this... F- there was a certain fantasy to the experience, and... And there was a certain weirdness, and... There was a certain unnatural quality to the micro-romance of it, and... And, um... I just tried to pull another nose hair, and then I pull, and there's nothing. There was nothing there. I'm out of nose hairs, but so charming, charming. And uh, what was I saying? Right, she actually, what I was going to say is in this weird experience we had a while back, she actually let me drive a car and I'd never driven a car and it's like secretly the first time I ever drove a car. She let me drive her little piece of shit car in a parking lot and there was like this weird quality to it. But anyway, so 
that was in my 30s, but then I get a license when I'm 35, and I, and I've had a license for almost a year and a half now, and I do a year of driving, and for some reason, for this whole year of driving, I realize that I'm constantly daydreaming about the first time I'll be pulled over and how the person will, the cop will probably ask me if I've been drinking, and then I daydream about answering that question and saying that I don't drink. For some reason, that is something that I've been thinking about multiple times a week for a year, and then it happened. I don't know if that means anything, but it's weird. It feels weird. That's what happened. And I think if I hadn't been daydreaming about it, because in the daydreams, it has a tendency to go meandering and get long and stuff. And and a long answer is not really that great, you know? You want to be kind of concise in this life. And so in reality, because I'd practiced in my head about a thousand times, in reality, I was pretty concise and I just did a a one-sentence thing and, and, and he liked it. But I was swerving, bro. I must have been swerving. It's also like, it's at a, I was driving on this part of the highway and it's in the middle of the night and I just got off work and I'm kind of vibing and it's wide and there's no one else on the road, I think, but there's a cop right behind me. That, <laughs> it's so funny to be like, there was no one else on the road, but there was apparently a cop right behind me. So maybe I wasn't paying attention, you know, maybe I wasn't doing a good job driving, but so he didn't give me a ticket and he goes, I'm not going to give you a ticket or anything, but yeah, you were swerving like a motherfucker. And on my phone, you can just see how I, how my, <clears throat> I bought this new um, magnetized phone stand that suction cups to the dash. And so my phone is chilling next to my navigation screen in my truck. My phone is chilling and on the screen. You can see how I've paused the song and it's on. You can see the album cover, the Kendrick Lamar album cover. And you can see I've paused about 70 seconds into the song Mother I Sober. It's like, okay. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to listen to that song now without being fucking stressed out. But the thing stressed me out. And so I come home afterwards and I have such a stomachache. And I'm so happy that I come home and I immediately call Doug at work because I just need to talk to another. I have such a stomachache. You know, I... um. I can't remember what I was, what the topic was, but I remember a while back talking about how when I get really stressed out, I get really, really cold and I get a stomachache and I have to drink hot, a hot beverage and make it really hot in the room because I just get straight cold. Oh yeah, I was talking about how I called my ex-wife on the phone and we had a two hour conversation and I got fucking ice cold. My whole body just went ice cold because I was in a state of shock. And then Asher listened to that and he was like, look, as a doctor, anyone who listened to this, who is a doctor, thinks that it's stupid for you to use that word like that. Because that's not, the the word shock has a very specific medical meaning, and that's not it. And then I'm asking him, like, so what is it? And he's like, I don't know what it is, but it's not shock. Because he's like, there's four types of shock. And he's like, goes all med school on me. And I don't know what it is. I don't remember the four types of shock, you know, blood shock, brain shock, foot shock. It's something like that, you know, nervous you know, it's interesting, the types of shock. But anyway, going straight cold, I thought it was that because you always see in movies that people are in a, 
in a car crash and then people say, oh, he's in shock now. And then they put one of those fucking reflective tinfoily blankets around them to heat them up. So I was like, oh, I must be cold because I'm in shock. But that's not right. Medically, that's not correct. But I, a cop pulled me over and I was in this state that makes me ice cold. And I made a cup of tea and I came home and I called Doug and it didn't really help. And my stomach was hurting so bad. And then luckily Javi came downstairs and we talked a little bit and it just made me feel better. But really the only thing when I'm in that state is just waiting three, four hours and it fades. But I told my sister right away and it's so, you know, fuck, I love my sister so fucking much. She's so cool. Politically, my sister is just, I don't know a single person who is more politically perfect than my sister because my sister has never preached about anything there's no preaching there's only doing and her actions are perfect she drives a hybrid she recycles she's a vegan her and her husband are vegan and she's a vegan she's been a vegan for 10 years and she's never said a word about it you know and like just politically, she's just perfect. Like when there's an election in Sweden, she just reminds me that there's an election and I need to vote and why it's important to vote. And that's the time to say something and that's it. No preaching. Like no falling into it because of a pain. Not, no like cycle abuse. No like media diet needs to be improved. No obsessiveness to it. Just action pure action and reflection when appropriate i don't know i it's impossible for me to describe it my my, perf my sister is perfect and she she has two kids now she just gave birth like two weeks ago and and her kids are not vegan you know because vegan is perfect and vegan is what we need to do to save the planet and i'm i'm not vegan and it's a point of guilt inside of my and in, in my heart but also, when you have little kids, when you have a one-year-old, probably shouldn't be vegan. Because health-wise, it's probably good to go very plant-heavy, but to have a little bit of meat in there just to hedge your bets, you know? So they put her in preschool. She eats meat at preschool, and she eats vegan at home, and it, it gets her this nice plant-heavy, healthy diet. They have a garden. She The fucking two-year-old walks around in the garden all day eating berries, the perfect life. It's like a theoretical German Bildungsroman novel about what what if you could have a perfect childhood and that's that kid, you know? Liu, that's the name of the first kid and my sister just had a second kid and the kid's name is Hedda. <laughs> you couldn't make this shit up, bro. You couldn't make this shit up. Yeah. So what I was going to say is I called, I, I, I sent some voice messages to my mom and my sister where I was like, I just got pulled over for the first time. And I, I, I have this thing where I curate what I say to my mom and my sister so that it's nice, so that they only get the nice stuff. But also I do build my life to be nice so that I won't have any bad stuff to say because I really want to just live a peaceful life, you know? I want to tell them that I'm sober and I want it to be true. 
because of that, that helps me stay motivated to be sober. And so maybe I pay the 500 bucks car registration thing to get the fucking piece of paper to show to the cop. Maybe I do that so that I can tell my mom that I got pulled over and that I had the piece of paper. Because that's what I did. I, I call, I vo- sent a voice message to this little group with my mom and my sister and they were like, yeah. And then my sister said this obvious, beautiful thing. And she said it in a way that's not preachy. She said it in this very matter-of-fact way. And she said it in this thing that I just love how... I don't think an American can understand how this is heard from me. Because as an American, you think it's obvious that she's going to say this. But it's not. It's not obvious that this Swedish lady, my sister, who is this perfectly well-rounded... right-sized my sister is so right-sized she just she does not view herself as this like enormous gigantic pillar of the community she just views herself as one more person there's this incredible truth to her her humility but so then i say that i got pulled over and that i was super scared and that i had my that i luckily have insurance and a driver's license and car registration and i show it to him and i was swerving he thought because i was listening to music but i was being safe and it was all okay. And then my sister goes, well, good thing you're a white guy, huh? <laughs> good thing you're a white guy. And it's like, yeah. Good thing I'm a white guy. Truest shit I ever wrote. You know? Because I'm out here. <clears throat> I can barely stand up straight because my stomach hurts so bad. Because I'm so stressed out after he got he pulled me over, even though it was just three minutes and he was perfectly polite the whole time. You know, let's just do a 30-minute fucking liberal exercise here of a meaningless exercise of stating the obvious, you know? What if I was a black guy? What if any variable was different? I'm out here like, can't even function properly because I'm so stressed out. And what if any, like, what if he wasn't polite? Which is why out of all the, like, heartbreaking, horrible footage that there is, body cam footage of black people dying, the thing that, the one that, like, cuts my heart open the most is the one where there's this guy, I can't even remember, it's like some scrawny kid somewhere on the East Coast, in some city this it's a city scenario i don't think it's in new york but it's somewhere and the kid is just like i just want you to know that i have like add or fucking asperger's or something and i'm like really struggling and i have a lot of anxiety disorders so if i act weird it's just like i have a lot of shit like that going on and i'm sorry and it's like that's and then they kill them And it's like that, it, I because I think in the hypothetical, we don't, the counterfactual, you know, like we don't know about counterfactuals, but in that counterfactual that I was a black guy, I think I'd be that guy. And I think I'd get stopped on the street. And I think what I would say is that I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like a super stressed out guy. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. If I act weird, it's just like, if I can't, if I seem to be erratic and stuff, it's because I'm like super anxious all the time. And I didn't say that to the cop because I didn't have to. 
because of privilege. But I think it's appropriate to take a moment to just... Yeah, check our privilege, as it's called, but yeah. Debilitating stress, though. Even with the privilege. Because of the metaphor, you know? Because of the implication. Yeah. I think Americans inv- invented this thing of of answering a question with an answer that's not an answer to the question, but you say it with a voice as if it is. So the listener just buys it and just believes that it's an answer to the question. And then I think Americans invented that. And I think the number one people to use it are politicians and maybe salespeople. And then I think Americans invented it. And I think they exported it because I think the people all over the world are learning how to do that. And I think politicians all over the world are learning how to do that more than anyone else. It's interesting. I was listening to Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone <clears throat> made Oliver Stone is an interesting weird guy. He did an interview with Putin and he was talking about how he's tra- he's such a like he's a filmmaker but he's also like a little bit of a politics nerd and he just he's hard to pin down cuz I for a long time I just thought he was like a right winger that I don't need to listen to but really he has a really interesting mixed bag of opinions that might be pretty good and his new shit is about environmentalism and how we need to hurry up and get off fossil fuels and stuff and hey maybe Oliver Stone is a good guy you know maybe you need to fucking relax and he made a movie making fun of W and and highlighting them flaws of George W Bush and stuff so hey maybe Maybe you need to not shit on 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 him, but but what he was saying is he he did this interview. He did this interview with Putin, and he's done these interview with like different communist leaders around the world. And there's this thing of how they actually speak more openly. They actually like when he did an interview with Putin. Putin didn't ask for anything. He wasn't like I need to have peanut M and M's, you know. He wasn't like the hummus needs to be the specific hummus and it needs to be fucking bitch and spread and baby carrots. Otherwise, I'm not doing the interview. And there wasn't like some topic you're not allowed to ask about. And I think there's something interesting there about how autocrats, politicians in democratic places are so trapped in the spotlight and are exposed to so much spotlight and have to be so good in the spotlight that it just, all everything just gets worse, you know? And Oliver Stone was talking about how you can never hear Obama speak actually honestly about policy because the format does not allow for it. And I'm like, I want to disagree with him because I do think that Barack Obama is a transparent, honest, real human being. But at the same time, I understand what he's saying. These people failed to reflect upon certain things. There's zero interviews with George W. Bush where he reflects upon the mistakes of going to war and causing death, you know? But with Putin, Putin just talks about it plainly. He talks about it plainly and he's like, Russia first, you know? And an America isn't someone you can necessarily trust. An America has a big 
And it's not whataboutism. I mean, America is ethically superior to everyone else because there was fighting for freedom and people died for freedom and that was real. And it's a superpower and it's a diverse superpower where we try to give a voice to everyone. But it's not all good, you know? What was I talking about? It's boring talking about politics. I hate talking about politics. Think about it every time, though. I do think Americans are the ultimate politicians, though, is something that I was going to say. And because America is a country of politicians, it was okay for me to ask the, to answer the police officer's question like that. I don't think it would have worked in Sweden. I have a piece of paper here with notes of what I wanted to, things I could talk about. One of the notes just says, what if democracy doesn't produce good results? That's the whole note. You know, what if that's the case? And I think that's where, uh, it's the heaviest question. Let's do another water. Cherry. We got four cherry flavors, water, flavor waters. Oh, the weight of that question is just so like crushing. So almost a year ago, Bree went to Florida and bought me a bunch of sparkling water in Florida at a store called Publix that they love over there. And this one is called, the brand is called Sifo. And here's the thing. I already reviewed this, but it was on an episode where I talked about some crazy shit that I couldn't end up. Like you think I am overly fucking honest on this podcast and I talk about porn and I talk about sex and I talk about fucking every fucking embarrassing thing but I actually have episodes that are too embarrassing and I don't even release them if you can believe it so there was an episode where I, where I reviewed this and I haven't released that episode so I actually screwed the cap back on it and I was like I guess maybe I'll review it again in an episode that I can release so this is the most flawed thing ever because I opened this sparkling water six months ago drank some of it, reviewed it, screwed the cap back on. First of all, this might now be poisonous because, like, my saliva was introduced to it. it. Smells like cherry. Oh, it smells bad. All right, so Sifo brand wild cherry flavored sparkling water that was opened six months ago. I'm not going to drink more of it because I'm, I'm scared of the biohazard aspect of it, but now I've reviewed it. It's good. It's good. It's a seven. Everything from Publix is, is good. I follow this Instagram account called Real Tampa. And it's just memes where it's like, you're not from Tampa if you don't know, you know, if you don't know this and this and this. And then it's all this shit from a city I've never been to. Like all this like detailed, super specific shit. I love stuff like that. I love that. I love how the internet can let you peek into incredible specificities. I'm actually thirsty, though, so we're going to do another water. Signature select wild cherry. I mean, look, there's all these types of cherry. There's black cherry and wild cherry and cherry blossom. I cannot imagine that it's anything other than branding. Black cherry versus wild cherry. Yeah, that smells awful. 
Wow. That is... I mean, it's super sugary, so I kind of want to keep drinking it, but no. That's terrible. I don't know. There's a million things. You know, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like pride, feeling proud of something. Because it's such a... It's such an obviously complicated concept, but it's also something where we have to figure out an attitude. Like, it's obviously complicated because it's literally one of the deadly sins, and there are also festivals where we celebrate it. It's one of the sins in the Bible. Um, fake news. The, I don't think the seven deadly sins are actually in the Bible. I think it's kind of like editorializing. I think it's more like an EP that's outside of the actual disc discography of the Bible. But um, there's also pride parades. But but um, more just uh, nuts and bolts. It's like, you know, you do, like in AA, you, you do this thing where you try to live and discover a true sense of humility, where you realize that you are not the most important person in the world, but you're not also not just a worm crawling around in the dirt and you find yourself right in between. And it's so hard because every fucking fiber in your body wants you to ping pong between the two extremes, but you need to find yourself in the middle and just realize that you are a person among other people and you're just a member of the world and we're just part of the world and we are of the world. I listened to this wonderful Alan Watts talk today at the gym where he was like, <clears throat> just like how an apple tree will apple, much so the universe will people. And we don't, the phrase we come into the world is wrong because we're more from the world than into the world. And the, the apple tree will produce apples and the universe will produce people. The apple tree will apple and the universe will people. And that's what we are. We're just the fruit, you know? But the fruit is part of it. What was I saying? Yes, yeah, so we have this humility. But then, so you get to the sense of peace and humility that you work your way towards in the program. And then you maybe you scrape together a little bit of sobriety. But then there's this thing where you should feel proud of your sobriety. But it's so hard because with humility, I try to like really define for myself that feeling. Like it's an actual feeling. It's an actual feeling of feeling like I'm not bigger or smaller than anyone. And that my shit is fine and we're just at peace. And we're not better than anyone and that's okay. And then this feeling of pride is an actual feeling. And then that feeling has such a dark side of the other same coin of where someone else might not be able to stay sober and I manage to stay sober and then I feel proud and then I judge them. And it's like, what is that? That's not good. And as things, the more things are going well for me, the more there is that of feeling proud that things are going well for me. And ultimately, you know, you can deconstruct everything to where free will is a complete illusion and nothing that I do is anything, you know, it's all random. And I, I mean, pride is literally completely illogical. 
pride in everything I've done is actually completely illogical because I barely fucking exist. But, but things like I am proud of this beautiful life that my sister built. I just talked about my sister. Like, I'm so proud of her being such a perfect, like such a beautiful, just so okay with her own flaws and such a person that anyone can talk to and just have being this like listener, being this like incredible equanimity personified. I am proud of that. But what does that mean? You know, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Because she's separate from me. So why would I feel proud of that? And then, like, in America, things aren't going so fucking good. And there's mass shootings every day. And then in Sweden, we have fucking gun laws that make sense. And we don't have mass shootings. And we have fucking abortion rights. Because abortion is just more health care. And we just land in the middle where you're like, abortion is something you really should avoid. Because it's, like, painful emotionally for the woman to have an abortion. And you really should educate people from a very young age about how to live a safe and healthy and equanimity filled life, you know, using protection where you have freedom, but not like too much freedom. And then I'm proud of how in Sweden we have that culture of the thing that Hillary Clinton said that for a long time, I thought it was Bill Clinton who said it, that abortion should be rare and legal and safe but what does it mean like why shouldn't i and then i feel guilty that i feel proud because it's so arbitrary feeling proud that you're from sweden dude i should feel shame i should feel ashamed of feeling proud of something that i didn't do It's such a negative thing, you know? It's so hard. It goes hand in hand with this flow state. It's nice. The number of things I've talked about on this episode is nice because they all click in together. Because, like, the flow state... In the flow state, you have to make a lot of judgment calls. And the judgment calls frequently include telling people that they're doing something wrong... And nestled within everything there is a feeling of pride in me that I don't do things wrong. Which is such a... It's wrong because I need to... Detachment is the answer. And pride is a form of attachment. Because feeling proud of something is attaching yourself to it. And then if it fails, then you've lost everything. That's the problem. You know, Sweden can fall apart and then what? (sighs) I judge these other people because they do a shit job and I tell them. Or I talk shit about them behind their back and tell other people not to do a shit job like those people. And then I feel proud that I don't do a shit job and then what? All of that is just attachment. I'm going to talk about something now that was kind of upsetting to me that happened this week. And it's like, you're not allowed to talk about this in the program, but I'm going to talk about it in a way that's, I'm going to talk about it for me, you know. 
I had an experience where someone that is in the program, I serve alcohol for a living, and someone that's prominent in the sobriety community show up and they ask for alcohol, <clears throat> and they are served alcohol, and, and I see it, and I don't believe it, and I walk up to a coworker and I'm like, what is that person consuming? Because it looked sure fucking looked like alcohol. And they said what the drink was. And I was like, are you fucking sure? Are you sure that's not a Shirley Temple? And they were like, no, it's the third one. And it's like, fuck. And it's like, yeah, I'm saying that out loud. But it's like, it's also like, you're supposed to be anonymous. And I shouldn't say this on the pod, but it's fine. Because this person is the most... Fucking narcissistic, histrionic personality disorder, borderline personality, fucking no ego death in this person. This person is all ego. And I could describe that, but then I out, then I dox them too much. Let's just say that this person likes to slap their name on stuff. And this person's shares in meetings is always bragging. And then um, I called my sponsor and talked about it. And he was like, you're sure they weren't Shirley Temples? And I was like, I asked, bro, they weren't Shirley Temples. And apparently, and I was expecting my sponsor to say, oh, yeah, I haven't seen him in meetings for a while, but that wasn't right. It's one, it's just a very, hmm. I mean, it comes with the territory when, when you serve alcohol for a living I don't know. I'm all about me, so I'm like, I'm out here being like, you're an asshole for drinking because you put me in this situation where I have to serve you alcohol even though I know it's not something that should happen. But that's just making everything about me. Also, alcoholism isn't all about making everything nice. Let's review another water. Black cherry from Clover Valley from the dollar store because your boy is still poor. I talked last time about how um, my crypto wallet collapsed and I lost like 15 grand in value. And then actually there's been a sense of freedom because I check it compulsively. But the only thing that could happen that could lessen my compulsive checking of it, the only thing that could happen to make me check it less happened, which is that the volatility disappeared. It fucking bottomed out and then flatlined. At a very low level where it's still, it's not zero. It's not worth zero. It's worth something. And I'm like, I'm at broke. I'm, I'm breaking even, you know, but it, it's not moving anymore. And I check it every day and every day it's worth the exact same thing. And that's never been the case before because it's crypto. And the thing you know about crypto is that it's volatile and it's so peaceful that it's not volatile anymore. Oh man, this smells a lot like cherry. This smells kind of real. This smells kind of juicy. Oh man, that shit from the dollar store is the most natural one of these four. Mmm. Wonderful. That's refreshing. It's about a thousand degrees in here. It's about a thousand degrees and that drink is still kind of cold. I don't know. 
Apparently this person's been showing up to noon meetings every single day. Reminds me of this one time in Seattle where I had this one guy in my life. I don't mind talking about this guy in a way that sort of identifies him because he's a fucking asshole. We worked together and he would use, we worked in the same restaurant and he would use the uh, company label maker to make labels that said dick bag and I suck cock and make labels that said that and he would put it on my stuff. And he would always call me dick bag. And then one day, he was just like a rude, horrible, rambunctious, loud, scary-seeming person. And the one thing that made me made it easy for me to not feel bullied by him is that when I got hired, I clearly just took his job. And I make, made way more money than him immediately. And he immediately like lost all of his serving shifts. And suddenly he was like a fucking expo or something. Being tipped out a kind, tiny bit. And so I always felt like he's probably angry with me because I took his job. So every time I found a, a label that said dick bag on my stuff, I was like, yeah, this is an expression of anger. He's not punching down, he's punching up. But then this one time I'm in my Tuesday meeting and I'm listening to the guy who's like, Oh, I never, I had a six figure job and I never felt as proud as when they said my cookies were straight. And oh, blah, blah, I'm obsessing and they saying my, I'm letting some lady live in my brain for free and not paying rent. And then the guy is there, the fucking guy that calls me a dick bag. He's right there and I look at him and we nod at each other. And I realized that he was trying to get sober. And then I tried to check in with him and I gave him my number and, and he was sober for a little bit. And then COVID happened and we shut down and then he'd show up at work and he didn't even work there anymore, maybe. I mean, we were all on partial unemployment and I was working and he wasn't working and he'd show up drunk and he'd go behind the bar and he'd just pour himself fucking to-go coffee cups full of vodka and, and look at me all scary and be like, don't fucking tell anyone. Yeah. What does it feel like when my brothers in sobriety show up and I have to serve them alcohol? I served that guy alcohol many times. He would show up and COVID would happen and we would still open. We would first be open. The first time when he walked behind the bar, it was like we were open for to-go only. But then when we opened for reals and you could sit down, he would show up and sit down and have dinner and I'd serve him all these drinks and... It's a weird feeling. It's one of those feelings where you really have to just feel like the entire universe is the entire universe. And the AA program is not a program where you try to control people like that. The point of the program is not to tell him that he's not allowed to drink. You have to people, you have to let people, people have to burn out on their own. And if there's more gas in the tank and if he has to do more research and yeah, doesn't feel good though. The program is that we just let people drink until they come to us and we go to them and we talk about our own experience and that's it. But man, it's hard sometimes. 
you want to take control of people's lives. The program sounds easy. It sounds like an easy program until you run into someone who's like dealing with addiction issues and they have kids. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to let this person burn out. I'm just going to let this person crash and burn. Meanwhile, they're like the caretaker of children. I don't know. I don't think I'm being very deep. I think I'm being very shallow, but what does it feel like? It's somber. It's somber. And we have to just remember that the apple tree will apple and the universe will people. We're just the fruit. I love you guys. Thank you for listening.